from St. Luke, the second chapter. I'm reading this lesson here in the middle of the congregation. It's a traditional thing that Lutherans do. And it symbolizes the fact that Christ is present with the people. So as the gospel lesson is read, remember that Christ is with us. He is in the midst of us, and he comes to us in the power of the gospel. So we're reading from Luke chapter 2. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. The feast was ended as they were returning. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. And then they began to search him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And his parents saw him. They were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature or in years and in favor with God and man. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Heavenly Father, we thank you for uh, this day that you've given to us to gather together with your people to hear your word. We thank you that you indeed are present. You are in the midst of us. You are here to serve us. Uh, you are here to feed us your word, to nourish us in the sacrament, the bread and the wine of your body and your blood given for us. So, Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts, open, open our minds, and, Lord, I pray that this message would then bring transformation to us, that we would be changed as a result of your work in our lives. Lord, we cannot be changed if we have encountered you, so we pray for your presence in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. <clears throat> So today we look at this account from the Gospel of Luke. It's the only account within um, the scriptures in which we uh, hear of Jesus' boyhood, of his uh, life as a boy. And it's a story of a, of a family pilgrimage. The family travels from their hometown of Nazareth to Jerusalem. So we can think of this as a family road trip. How many of you enjoy road trips with family? Anybody here enjoy them? Some people like them. Some people just really don't look forward to family road trips. I really enjoy road trips with my family, even though we have four kids, and one of them is, is super energetic. You know who she is if, you, if you've met her. Uh, we are some tough road warriors. The Jensen's are road warriors. We actually did one road trip from Buffalo, New York, to Dallas, Texas, non-stop, over 24 hours, we only stopped for gas and to use the restroom. So we've seen a lot. We've done a, a lot of neat things as a family 
on these uh, road trips. Now, there, there, there's always a downside <clears throat> to road trips, though. There are some parts of this country that are really lacking in facilities. I don't know if you've noticed that, that there are, there are some places in this country where there are, are massive stretches of road and there are no restrooms. Well, I remember we were crossing somewhere out in the Midwest. I think we might have been in, in South Dakota. Got up early. I drank a bunch of coffee so I could get myself all hyped up for this road trip. And before long, I had to use the restroom. I had to use the restroom really bad. Have you been there before? So here we are somewhere out in the middle of, of South Dakota. I didn't see anything coming up ahead that would, would indicate there was a gas station or a rest stop. And then I, was, I began to notice something else in the middle of South Dakota. There aren't very many bushes <laughs> in the middle of South Dakota. Have you noticed that? I had to stop. It was a true emergency. So we pulled off, and it was one of those exits out in the middle of South Dakota. I knew nobody was around. A guy can see all the way from one end of South Dakota to the other end of South Dakota because it's so flat. So I pull off this lonely exit, and it actually didn't even go onto a paved road. It went onto a dirt road. And I said, okay, I can stop here. It's just my family. Other, the boys can get out also. And, so we get out, and um, out in the middle of nowhere, and I could look both ways down this dirt road. There's nobody there. There's anything. And all of a sudden, from behind, off and up the ramp, uh, coming uh, off the freeway, I heard a car. I was like, what in the world? Out in the middle of nowhere, and somebody decides to pull up on me at this moment in my life? I looked over, guess who it was? It was Mike Hayes. Just kidding, it wasn't Mike Hayes. <laughs> Mike Hayes has been to South Dakota. But no, it was, it was a family that pulled up right next to me, right there in the middle of nowhere. Family road trips. Family road trips, they're fun. So Jesus went on a family road trip. They didn't drive, they walked. They walked. Today, the drive from Nazareth to Jerusalem would be almost two hours driving over 90 miles. And that's through the area that would have been Samaria. So Jesus' family probably would have taken the longer ancient road around Samaria. So this is a long trip. Friends caravan together. It would have been a group of people traveling together on the way. No doubt there was singing and picnicking along the way, a fun and a joyous occasion for the family as they traveled. But there also would have been danger along the road. There would have been danger. And we know that during that time that there were robbers that would seek to, uh, to attack people along the roads. So they traveled in a group. There were safety there was safety in numbers. But the family's commitment each year to make this journey, this long journey to Jerusalem demonstrated, it demonstrated their devotion to God's word. It demonstrated the fact that they were devoted to God. Did you know that the third commandment teaches us to be devoted to God's word? 
When we study the third commandment about keeping the Sabbath day holy for us, that is a commandment to be devoted to God's word. To keep the Sabbath day holy is to be committed to his word. We keep the the Sabbath day holy through our devotion and through our commitment to take time off, to pause, and to gather with God's people, to hear his word, and to receive the sacrament. It is so important that we live in obedience to keep the Sabbath day holy because we are a people who need rest. We need rest. And more than that, we need to rest in the reality of who God is and who he has revealed himself to be in his word. So that's really what the third commandment is about. It's about taking a break and it's about being devoted to God's word. So this family's commitment to journey to Jerusalem each year, a long journey by foot, it demonstrated their devotion to God and to his word. So the question that I ask you today is this, how devoted are you? How devoted are you to God's word? I think this is an important question. It's important for us to to pause and to reflect upon ourselves and to ask ourselves, how devoted am I to God's word? It's an important question. But, but I also believe that there's a danger in this question, too. There's a danger in this question, too. And you might misunderstand the nature of, of being a believer devoted to God's Word. You might misunderstand what that means. Let me explain. Here, here is what I do not want you to think. I do not want you to think of devotion, of devotion to gathering with God's people around God's word is a good work, is a good work through which you earn God's favor. Do you really think that God is impressed with you because you're in church hearing God's word? Or because you open the scriptures and and read the scripture, do you really think that that is a good work that is going to, to cause you to earn God's grace? So don't think of, of devotion to God's word as a good work that we do to earn God's favor. I, I want you to think of gathering around God's word as a gift. As a gift. It is a gift that God has given to you. So think of gathering around God's word with God's people as a gift through which you receive God's grace. So God has said, I have provided for you the greatest gift that there is. It is the gift of my presence, of my Holy Spirit, through my word, me working to transform you. This is my gift to you because I love you. If we begin to think of going to church or reading our Bibles or being devoted to God's Word as a good work that we do to earn God's grace, we've gone off the rails. We miss the whole point of the gospel 
And the point of the gospel is, is that this is a gift of God's grace to you. So when you're brought to trust that God's word is the greatest gift that a person can, can receive, you'll gladly receive it and you'll gladly be blessed by it. But as soon as God's word becomes duty and law, that's when it becomes dry. That's when it really doesn't do the effective thing that it wants to do in our lives. So we see the family in our gospel lesson today is on a journey, a family pilgrimage, a family devoted to God's word. But then we hear of a missing child, a missing child. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the family caravan is returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went on a day's journey. So this makes sense. Jesus is 12 years old. He may have been uh, uh, with, with another group of people. So maybe uh, Mary thought that, oh, he's with this group of people, and Joseph thought, oh, he's with that group of people. And it was this miscommunication thing that happens all the time in families. And they travel a whole day and they realize that Jesus was nowhere to be found in this group of people that was journeying back from Jerusalem to Nazareth. So they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. I'm always filled with dread when there's an amber alert. The news of a missing child, it absolutely breaks my heart. I cannot imagine what it would be like to have a child and then for that child to go missing for hours or for days. You see, the mind goes to some very dark places when a child doesn't show up or when you can't find your kid. I don't have teenagers yet, but I imagine there will be evenings in the not-so-distant future when my kids don't show up on time. Some of you who have teenagers or have had teenagers, you've experienced that. So Mary and Joseph, they searched for Jesus for three days. I can't imagine the anxiety and the stress that they felt as they're searching for Jesus throughout that city. And then when they found Jesus, they said, son, why have you treated us this way? said, our father, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. Great distress. But what they saw when they found Jesus in the temple absolutely astonished them. After three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and answers. They were amazed at what Jesus was saying. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. So here Jesus is, as a 12-year-old boy, in the temple discussing God's Word with, with trained men and men who knew a lot about the scriptures. Jesus was discussing the word of God with these men. What's going on here? Why does Luke tell us this account of Jesus' childhood? Luke tells us this so that we would know 
who Jesus is. Who is Jesus? Is he just another ordinary person? No. He is Messiah. He is the Son of God. He is the promised one of Israel. Luke gives us these accounts in chapter 2 so that we would know, so that we would believe in who Jesus is as the true Messiah. Moreover, Jesus is in the temple. He's in the temple. Now get this, which is the place of sacrifice. The temple is the place of sacrifice. Do you get this connection? Here Jesus is in the place of sacrifice. You see, in the temple, the priests would take animals and they would sacrifice them. And the bloodshed of animals would atone for the sin of the people. So that's actually what they were doing as they went uh, for this feast. They would actually bring an animal to the Lord, to the priest at the temple, and the temple would sacrifice that animal, and the blood of the animal would make atonement for the sin of the people. See, the New Testament book of Hebrews teaches us this truth. Chapter 9 of Hebrews teaches us of the importance of what would happen at the temple and how that ties in to Jesus. How Jesus actually is the fulfillment of everything that happened in these temple sacrifices. Hebrews chapter 9, indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And then the author of Hebrews says, and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. There is no forgiveness of sins. Here's the point. The child is the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb. When John saw Jesus at the River Jordan, he looked at Jesus and he pointed to Jesus, and what did John say? John said, behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Isn't it ironic? Jesus, as a child, As an infant, he's brought to the temple. And then he goes back year after year, where this is recorded of his 12th year going to the temple. He is the sacrificial lamb who will sacrifice his own life upon the cross for the sin of the world. So Jesus is the one who fulfilled everything in your stead in your place. Jesus took many trips through his life to the temple in obedience to God's word. The 12-year-old boy, there he is at the temple. Some 20 years later, he will go to Jerusalem again with his disciples. And when he goes on the last year of his earthly life, he will lay his life down upon the cross for the sin of the world. Everything that Jesus did was done in devotion to his Father. Jesus was obedient to his Father in every way, in every way. The Bible teaches us that Jesus 
was without sin. He was tempted in every way we are, yet he was without sin. He was devoted to his Father. And Jesus was devoted to his Father in a way that no one else could be devoted to God. What does Jesus' devotion to God, his obedience to God, teach us? Well, Jesus did it all for you. Did you know that? Everything that Jesus did in his life, he did it for you. His obedience to God's word was done for you. And when you believe in Jesus Christ, when you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are actually credited with Jesus' obedience. When God sees you, he doesn't see your sin. He actually sees the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. So everything that Jesus did, he did it for you. His obedience to God's word was done for you. His devotion to his Father was for you. His sacrifice upon the cross was for you. And his resurrection was for you. This is the gospel. The gospel is Jesus doing for you and winning for you that which you could never achieve on your own. So when you read about Jesus, when you read about his life, his death, and his resurrection, when Jesus goes to the temple as an infant, when Jesus goes to the temple as a 12-year-old boy, when Jesus goes to Jerusalem to die for you, he did all of that in obedience to the Father for you so that you would be credited with the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. This is the gospel. Jesus doing for you and winning for you that which you could never achieve on your own. You see, if it was up to me, I'd be in trouble. I'd be in big trouble. I need Jesus. I'm just going to be honest with you today. I need Jesus in my life because I'm not as devoted to God as I need to be. I'm not as devoted to his word as I should be. So I need Jesus. I need Jesus because I, I constantly fail to obey God has given the commandment, and I have failed to obey. And if you're honest and you look at your own life, you'll say, yeah, I'm in the same place. I need Jesus. I need Jesus because I'm not as devoted to God the Father as I need to be, and because I constantly fail to obey. Everything that Jesus did was done for you. This is the gospel. Jesus doing for you and winning for you that which you could never achieve on your own. And that's where we rest, church. That's where we rest. We don't rest in our own works or in our ability to achieve. We rest in the gospel. We rest in the gospel 
because we've never found rest in our works. Talk to a person who is trying to earn God's favor by their good works. You will not find a person at peace or a person at rest. We find our rest in the gospel. More than that, we find our renewal in the gospel, in what Jesus did for us. Do you want to find rest for your soul? Do you want to find spiritual renewal? You're not going to find it in yourself. You'll find it only in Jesus, trusting in him and believing in him. Some people ask, why do I preach the gospel every Sunday? Every sermon, every sermon includes the gospel. Why do I preach the gospel every Sunday? I preach the gospel, well, number one, because in my ordination, in my ordination vows, I committed to preaching the gospel. But I also preach the gospel every Sunday because we forget it every day. If you're like me, you forget it every day. You forget about Jesus. You forget about what he did. You forget about why he did it. And you forget about how he simply wants to come into your heart and to give you rest and renewal through the forgiveness of sins. So if we forget it seven days a week, then at least one day out of the week you'll hear it again. And I'll hear it again. And by hearing it, by hearing about Jesus and what he did for us, we'll find rest and we'll be renewed. So when you read the Gospel of Luke, and I challenge you to read it because we'll be going through Luke this year. There'll be spatterings of the Gospel of John too this year. It will primarily be in the Gospel of Luke this year. Know that every good work done by Jesus Everything that he did was done for you. Trust in him. Believe in him. Find your rest in him. Don't try to earn God's grace and mercy. Simply say, Lord, here I am. I need you. Come into my heart once again. Give to me the forgiveness of sins once again. Renew me once again. Transform me so that I can live as your servant today. Amen. Heavenly Father, we come before you today. We thank you and we praise you. We thank you that you took this pilgrimage to, Jer to Jerusalem out of obedience to the Father at the age of 12. And we thank you that in obedience to the Father at the age of 33 or so, you went to Jerusalem and in Jerusalem, you laid your life down upon the cross for us. And in Jerusalem, you rose again on the third day. We thank you, Lord, for those good works that you did on our behalf. Help us to rest in your good works. Help us to rest in everything that you have done for us. So that we would be renewed and transformed by your word this year. This year, as we study the Gospel of Luke, may we begin to reflect within this congregation, within our lives, who you are to this unbelieving world. 
It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.